In November, the monastery hosted an icon workshop with master iconographer Vladislav Andreev. He painted the icons you see in our sanctuary. I learned while attending his lectures the necessity of repetition and attentiveness to the master's technique. These are the greatest assets for any student of the craft. In one of his published works, Vladislav writes, Learning to become an iconographer requires from the disciple a long period of apprenticeship. There is no room for shortcuts for this method of education, which, while sculpting the student's worldview, becomes their life journey. Great attention, therefore, is needed to the studying and copying of the master's icon." End quote. We call this relationship between master and apprentice a school, a specific method of applying ourselves to a craft, be it icons, intellectual studies, carpentry, or virtue. During the Christmas season, we learned that our Lord Jesus did not consider it beneath his dignity to assume our frail human nature. His was the whole of the human project, so that like us, he had to start from a lowly position and grow up into a mature adulthood. The school of Nazareth, as St. Pope Paul VI put it, what his, was his daily contact with the Blessed Virgin Mary and his foster father, Joseph. There he learned everything he knew about the law and the prophets, the ancestral worship of his people, and the practice of virtue. But it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? This is the Son of God, after all. We have here as much a statement about the humility of our Lord as we do about the marked holiness of the Virgin Mary and St. Joseph. If indeed the disciple takes into himself the whole worldview of the Master in order to appropriate the forms and ideas of a particular craft, then one could say that the whole of Christ's public ministry was a manifestation of his upbringing. His craft was the human condition, perfecting its potential for close union with God. Reflecting again on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in preparation for my homily today, I realized that Our Lady's sinlessness was as necessary for the birth of Jesus as it was for the entirety of his upbringing. Only the examples of virtue exhibited by the Virgin Mary and St. Joseph would befit the holiness of the Son of God. Scripture tells us that he obeyed them, and Mary kept all these things in her heart. This reversal of roles between human and divine is a mirror image of the Incarnation. The living icon of the Holy Family is for us, to use St. Benedict's term, a school of the Lord's service. Keeping all, the, keeping all these things within our hearts will open us up to a deeper understanding of the quiet, interior life of the Son of God. This is especially important for today's nuclear family, overrun by a multitude of outside pressures. These range from technology to the corrosive influences of modern culture. I know of many families that do not share common meals together. 
This is because they get to watch their preferred television shows, play video games, or eat however they want without the constraints of proper table etiquette. This removal of common ritual actually alienates the individual from the hierarchy of relationships. There is no longer any clear distinction between roles between the members of a household. Mother and father even defer to the child rather than vice versa. Holy Scripture is, for the most part, silent on Jesus' upbringing in Nazareth. Likewise, the Church's liturgy is brief in passing over the mystery of the Nativity. This is in order to hasten us towards the baptism of Christ. By skimming through the details of the childhood of Jesus, we force ourselves to reflect more deeply on the mystery of the Incarnation. It is fitting, therefore, to speak little of its profound aspects in order for us to access its many riches through our own experience. The Incarnation is the moment when God enters into our bodily condition. The baby Jesus had to learn to crawl, walk, talk, teethe, and yes, even use the bathroom. One might prefer to think on the Lord's adult life rather than to imagine him as a child. It is the extreme vulnerability, the historical circumstances of his day, and the total self-abasement of the God-man that has scandalized many generations of religious seekers. However, for us who believe, the silent years of Nazareth become a great source of divine revelation. By analyzing our own lives, we can see how they directly relate to the earthly life of the Son of God. Many heresies within the early Church revolve around the central theme of Christ's humanity. Was he really divine? If so, did he pre-exist with the Father before his incarnation? Of course, the answer to all these is yes, but more importantly, our theology is not an abstraction. God became man that man might become God. Jesus is the living icon of the Father, who reveals to us in himself our own status as children of God. Our education in the Christian way of holiness consists in this. Whatever Jesus willed to do in his sacred humanity remains for us to imitate, or to at least acknowledge as possible, within the broad scope of human sanctity. But there's one final aspect that's very important. If we have indeed entered the school of the Lord's service, this presupposes, first of all, that we are actually willing to learn. If God so humbled himself as to obey human beings, what then can be said of our own discipline? If Advent is a time of repentance and preparation for the Lord's coming, then Christmas is the season in which we reap the promised fruits of grace. Let us be confident, then. This grace will carry us in the arms of God, making effortless even what our nature finds impossible. If we are discouraged by the road that lies ahead of us, let us remember the Lord's words to the prophet Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. <laughs>